If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Ladies and gentlemen, do not adjust your podcast device. For the next 60 minutes, we will control everything you see, hear, and think. Welcome <laughs> to the Heretic Happy Hour. They could, they could just they, wait. They could just press pause. No, they, can't they can't. It. No, they cannot. They cannot do that. We are in control. Just sit back, shut up, and listen. All right. Hey, <laughs> sounds like need- sounds like church. Hold on now. <laughs> I didn't know we was at church. <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, uh, I'm Keith Childs. I'm one of the three co-hosts, as you can tell. And um, welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We are deep, deep in this new series called Let's Get Metaphysical. And oh my gosh, we have some amazing, mind-blowing things to talk about in this episode. Um, but first, I guess we should introduce ourselves. As I said, I'm Keith Childs. I'm the author of several books in this Jesus Un series that I'm endlessly writing. And I am joined by Jamal and Matt. Hey guys, uh, introduce yourselves. Hi, my friends. My name is Jamal Javanji. I am. Um one of the hosts here on the Heretic Happy Hour. It is a pleasure to be back on the podcast. And I'm the author of uh, Living for Living most recently, which is now available in Kindle and audio, which I'm because of the quarantine that's going on and we have a sale, uh, an April sale. There's I've talked to a number of folks who have picked up uh, some Kindle versions, which for 99 cents, which is pretty awesome. So pick that up. Yes, listen to the listen to the audio book as well. Yeah. And speaking of 99 cents, uh, I, Matthew DiStefano, have a, uh, a new book with, uh, with my boy, Mike Machuga, out on choir called The Bonfire Session Spring. And it is 99 cents on Kindle as well. It's a booklet in a series of four booklets, and I'm super excited about it because it's like the funnest writing I've ever done. There's, I didn't even get an editor. I just edited it myself because uh, it's literally just almost, almost a transcript of a conversation. So um, go pick that up on choir and I'm happy to be here again with you fine folks. Oh, oh, I almost forgot. How could I forget? How could I forget that we have a sponsor? My God, it is, uh, we're all in quarantine. So we're a little slow these days, right? So, uh, as always, we've got wild foods as our sponsor, wildfoods.co is their website. You're going to want to go check out all of their great products. They've got the Cocotropic Superfood Mix that I have been raving about. I just placed an order for their protein powder, so I'm going to try that one out now. And so they've got a bunch of good stuff, all uh, organic. They've got vegan. They've got, uh, they've got gluten-free, of course, which I'm happy about. And on top of all the good products they have, they've given our listeners, you fine folks, 12% off by using promo code happy hour 12. That's one, two, Woo-hoo! happy hour one, two. Use that code, get yeah, their shit. And I tell you what, you tell me, you reach out to me on Facebook or any other place, and I will give you a free ebook. Don't worry, producer man. It's not one of choirs that I'm just giving away willy nilly. It's something I just oh, Yeah. Back, back off, son. Um, I'll get. If you order something, show me show me that you did that. Tell me that you did that. I'll take your word for it. I'll give you a free ebook. So, yeah, wildfoods.co. Get it. Sweet. Yes, yes. And if um if you're listening to the show for the first time today, then you're probably unaware of what I'm about to say. So, what I want you to know, please take notes of this, is that we have a hotline. And it's mm-hmm. um 
one of the best things you will hear today. And the hotline is area code 240-343-7379. And the hotline is our way of making the show accessible to you in a very personal way. So you can text the hotline. You can call in 24-7, seven days a week. Not, I don't know that if there's any podcast you know, out there in the internet that has a hotline. We don't know that except for this one. No one knows. So we don't know. But uh, 240-343-7379, send text. You can call. Uh, leave your voicemails. We'd love to get love to the, on, to the, on the hotline. And so we do have a text that came in. Can we cue that up? Okay, this is, this is from a listener. Quote, if we are just like Jesus slash God, why did he understand from a young age who he was and we do not? Why was he sinless and we are not? Also, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he was chosen before the foundation of the world for us. This seems like he is different than us in some ways. I do believe, like you, like you guys, that God is in us just like Jesus, but just trying to figure out this difference, unquote. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Mm. Okay, well, I know this is going <laughs> to... I can see it coming. All right, so I'm just going <laughs> to... All right. All right. I love this question. I'm going to do my best to answer this super quick because I know that Jamal and Matt have things they want to say. So the first thing I want to say is, um, so then the question, by the way, first of all, thank you for this question, but you, good, you say something. Question. Yeah. You ask something, you say, um, why did Jesus understand from a young age who he was? And we do not. I, I would challenge that assumption. I think actually what we see is the idea that Jesus grew in understanding. And I think it even says, um, you know, in obedience to his parents. So actually, I would challenge the idea that he just kind of always knew who he was. I think that was something he probably had to figure out like the rest of us do. Um, with the whole, was he sinless and and uh, and we are not uh, thing is that that's another big hairy ball. Um, uh, what? You <laughs> 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 made me choke on my wine. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I don't even know where to go there. I mean, I think that's a whole other conversation. I think we did a podcast on sin. You probably should go listen to that because uh, that's a big, long answer. And, um, gee, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's all I want to say about that. I, I'll just let, I'll let you guys take a stab. Well, I, 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 like you, think that Jesus didn't know, quote-unquote, who he was from the time he was a kid. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like He grew in, in understanding. I, he's, like, I, I, he's human. Yes. He was a child. He was childish. He, he, he did stupid shit. Um, you know, uh, he got sick. He blew his nose. He might have muttered some cuss words to himself. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like to place Jesus on this pedestal. It sounds weird saying that. I, you know, but I don't want to make him um, some sort of... Uh, sacred cow because I don't think that's what he was trying to do. Um, Was he sinless? What do you mean by sin? I I don't think it's all these little do nots and do's. I I don't think that's how he understood it. Um, eh. What if everyone is sinless? What what if the whole point, what if the whole point Jesus was trying to make is that as far as God is concerned, right? He's as as what it's saying uh, is the second Corinthians that God was in Christ not counting our sins against us. Like maybe that's part of this whole statement is that 
stop worrying about this whole sin thing. Like get your mind off of that. That's not your identity. Oh yeah. I would, I would definitely say, yeah. And, and like, like you said, we've discussed this before. It's definitely not our identity. I will say be uh, chosen before the foundation of the world. I, I think there may be something to that in that um, Jesus as our model shows us what God is like in the best way. I, I would, I would make, I would problematize, take a shot. Um, problematize that by saying maybe the buddha did as well maybe maybe those teachers like jesus were also chosen since the foundation of the world to be our guides to be our bodhisattvas to be our um the people who help us uh they renounce their own selves in a way and and help others along towards enlightenment but maybe that would be for yet another episode i want to give time to jamal yeah i would i just uh echo what you guys are saying i don't think we're on different Holy well. shit. <laughs> yeah. What's yeah, happening? I, <laughs> man, you know, this is, it's a sign of the end times because it is, it is. A sign. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, here it comes, here it comes. Ducky cover, <laughs> you know, I, so there's, I, I appreciate the question from the, from the listener because it is a really good question. Um, I think um, there's, a, there's some assumptions that are made though. One of those yeah. assumptions is that, um, you know, to be God, you have to, you know, to be divine and a human, you have to, un- you have to have like this all knowing capability. I think the whole point of the human experience is that we need the amnesia for a reason. Okay. So mm-hmm. otherwise, yeah, we need the amnesia for a reason. It gives us the quality. See, this is a virtual reality we're living in. It's not real. So the things we're experiencing are so that we could have an experience so we can learn something that we need to learn and do something that we need to do. So Jesus had a mission, but I think part of the, the beauty um, of waking up and realizing who you are. Now, Jesus, we're all realizing who we are. So who are we? Um, you know, and I my understanding is that, you know, at, we are not, we are just simply pure awareness. We're being itself because everything else is temporary. Everything else is a story, but we are pure awareness. Jesus, I think did uh, grow into that eventually to this understanding. That's why he would talk about, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I don't think he was talking about Jesus. I think he was talking about his being, which is just simply, I am. So, so God doesn't have a name. We're we're still operating. Most Christians are taught and operating under the assumption that God has a name. God has no name, because because only only specific persons, uh, we call it dualistic persons, or um, have a name. Like you have a a being out there, and there's a name. Like God is not like that. God is not a being among other beings. To quote Andre Raba, God is the ground and source of all being. It's just pure awareness and consciousness. So, in the same way that. We also have that as our identity as well. So once we get beyond the ego, the story, we're just being itself. And so when Jesus was talking about, I am the resurrection and the life, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not saying anything different than us, than we say. Um, but I, I think um, you have to get beyond the ego to be able to actually know that for yourself. Um, yeah. So that was, that's my understanding. So was he sinless? Well, sin doesn't exist. It's again, it's again. The only way sin exists is when you look at the world through the lens of good and evil. Um, and that is precisely what we are not designed to do. That's actually part of the thing we're waking up from. So, you know, what most people call sin is just the human experience of not, of not, uh, not being an awareness of true identity. So we, we commit actions. We do things from this place of limited awareness of who we are. 
That's what people call sin. I, I mean, so was he sinless? Well, no more, no less than any of us, you know? So <laughs> anyway, there's a lot more we can say about that, but that's a great question. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he did have an awareness, obviously, of his mission, though. So he had a mission pretty early on. And some people differ in that. But before the foundations of the world, you know, like all that, all, all that is saying is before we came um, into this place of space and time, um, we had an awareness of our mission. Well, I don't think that's just true of Jesus. I think it's true of all of us. That's just my understanding. Again, we can unpack that. I think all of us have a we were sent here on mission before outside of space and time for a purpose of serving of the world and humanity. So, you know, first Peter one twenty isn't, is true of Jesus and everybody else too, because he's the son of mankind, you know? So what's true mm-hmm. of him, true of all of us. Yeah. But, That's some good heresy there. That is some really good heresy. I know we've talked about that heresy before. So good stuff. Many, many times. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So uh, what does that bring us to? We got We got a next set, our next section. We got to move on. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, I'm Steve McVeigh. And there are people out there who think I'm a heretic. Whether or not you think I'm a heretic depends on how you define the word, I guess. The reason I found that most people who call me a heretic use that name for me is because I have had the audacity to return to the original message of the gospel and to describe and declare our God the same way Jesus did. And in the 21st century church, that can get you into a lot of trouble. <laughs> well, hi, hi, Steve. Steve. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we've uh, we've all been in that boat, Steve. Um, we feel your pain, and um, yeah, it's so great to have you on the podcast. We were talking before we hit record. You and I have a mutual friend, uh, Bill Thrasher, and um, Bill had told me yeah. a lot about you. Bill's a great guy, a great guy, and a good friend. Yes, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, as you said there in your intro, you know, you uh, you kind of think about God in a different way than most Christians do. But the ironic thing is that from your perspective, this is the way Jesus looked at, at, at everything. So, um, so what is that a little bit? Explain a little bit more about that. What, how did, how is it that you see things a little bit differently than the average person? Well, I, I would say I see things diff, a lot differently than the average evangelical. I think that the way I see God and understand theology is fits very well with the historic church, with the Church of the New Testament. But this whole this whole penal substitution idea that somehow there's this righteous, just God that deserves payback, and then there's this benevolent, self-giving Son who's willing to take the brunt of God's anger on our behalf. That is such a perversion. That is such a twisted uh, uh, caricature. There's your caricature. Yeah, of the true yeah. message of the gospel first. And, 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 and we could even get into the idea of what is justice? People say, well, don't you believe in the justice of God? Well, of course I do. But the problem is the evangelical church has taken justice from the halls of jurisprudence in our modern society, and not even modern society, going all the way back to Greek culture, when they set up a system of judges and juries and defendants and prosecutors and, and you know, that, that kind of courtroom justice that is uh, executed in courts all over the land ever since then, we've transferred onto the heart and the head, the mind of God himself. And we've said that justice 
is some sort of legal jurisprudence. And that's not what justice is when we talk about divine justice. I mean, there are plenty of Bible verses that, that talk about justice is what happens when not when there's retribution, but when there's restoration. Justice, divine justice is when God puts back, not pays back. Mm-hmm. It's not payback, it's put back. It's when he puts it all back in the right order so that, let's say, the offended and the offender are both restored and now live together inside of divine love. It's not when somebody's punished. It's when everybody is healed. There's divine justice right there. And there are plenty of Bible verses that demonstrate that. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, you can't wake up a man who's pretending to be asleep. So if you show hmm. it to some folks, it's not going to make a difference. But thank God more and more of us out there are seeing the truth and opening our eyes and our minds to that truth. And there's a groundswell now that's returning us back to the original gospel of the New Testament. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. And I agree with you. It's a it's an exciting thing to see more and more uh, voices like yours. And I think people like Richard Murray and Bill Thrasher, and I could go on. There's so many people um, that are pointing us back to the fact that, hey, the original Christians had this thing called uh, universal reconciliation or ultimate reconciliation or patristic universalism, however you want to term it. That um, from the beginning, you know, Christians had this belief in um, a form of God's justice in the atonement that was uh, not not retributive but restorative. As you said, that God's plan was to make all things new, to restore everyone and everything to Himself again. That's what a God of love really does. That's what a God who looks like Jesus really does. Um, well, here's where I differ. If I might inject, here's where I differ with some who. Oh, well, in fact, I would say with any who teach in ultimate reconciliation. Now, I'll say it this way, and I kind of uh, have the potential to make people upset with me on both ends. I don't believe in ultimate reconciliation. I believe in historic reconciliation. I think that everybody has already been reconciled. We just don't know it yet. Wow. I, don't think, I don't think we're looking for a future date when everybody's going to be reconciled. I think that's already happened. And the only need we have is Paul, the apostle told the, uh, was it the Ephesians? He said, you were once alienated in your minds, Mm. but but it's only, it's a mind game. People play thinking they're alienated from God. And even those who say, well, you know, folks are alienated right now, but one day ultimately they'll be reconciled. I say to that, no, when Jesus said it is finished, he meant just that Mm -hmm. it is finished. We're already reconciled, just we don't know it yet. Some don't anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, this is awesome stuff, Steve, and I, I, I really love what you're talking about, and I, I agree with what you're saying. But one of the main reasons we wanted to talk to you today was you have, you have developed an, or I think discovered or, or formulated some pretty fascinating theories um, on using kind of quantum science and things like this and applied it to some quantum spirituality. And uh, that's something I find super, super fascinating. And I, I don't know how to, uh, how to pull it out of you. Like, how did you get there? How did you discover that? And what, what have you learned by looking at things through that lens? Well, you're right. I'll, I'll tell you how I got there. I teach an online group every day, from every weekday on face, Facebook. It's a subscription group called Quantum Life with Steve McVeigh. And if, 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 is it okay for me to give my web? I oh, mean, yeah. I, oh, please yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. if people, if people go to Steve McVeigh.com, they can find their links to different things. And one of them is the quantum life with Steve McVeigh group that uh, meets together every day. And I'll tell you how that happened. Um, 
so I wrote this book called Beyond an Angry God, and the, the, it was the last book I wrote. I've written 17 books. That was the last book that I've written, and I was so excited to share this message of the Trinitarian gospel that we've kind of touched on already in these preliminary remarks. And uh, to my dismay, <laughs> but not my utter surprise, it was not well received by the evangelical world, despite <laughs> the fact that I filled it with biblical references and and quotes from you know apostolic church leaders and the you know many of the early church fathers uh, you know just just uh, the Cappadocian fathers it was filled with theological substance evidence but because the evangelical church the typical person is used to cotton candy instead of <laughs> you know meat uh, it, it it was not well received and so I found myself at a place where I thought well you know, what am I going to do now? My publisher said, well, write a book on this or that. And I said, you know, and, and I said, at this point, what I have to say is I have said what I think is the most important thing I have to say in life. I don't know where to go from here. If the evangelical church world doesn't want to hear this, you know, I don't have a plan B. This is my passion. This is, this is the gospel that I plan to die proclaiming. So I just kind of put it over on the shelf, my thoughts about what I do in the days ahead. And I just began to read for pleasure, and I ventured out away from the theological kinds of books that I had been reading all of my life, and I found myself reading first one book on the subject of quantum mechanics, and then another, and then another, and I started to think, man, this is some really cool stuff. This is fascinating, this modern science that they've uncovered at the beginning of the 20th century, and it's gaining momentum, and disrupting the old scientific materialism that we all grew up with. I thought, this is really cool. The more I read, I began to say, wow, it, it's amazing, but there's an overlap between some of what quantum science is teaching and some of what I know to be true in my faith orientation. Hmm. So I kept reading more and more science, uh, quantum science books, and the more I read, the more I began to recognize that it wasn't just an overlap, you know, a Venn diagram where you have two circles that overlap and there's that center, that common shared space. Well, I began to see that quantum science and the kingdom of God were not like two circles that formed a Venn, you know, diagram, but instead they coincided. Mm -hmm. And I began to see that what science was calling the matrix is the very thing Jesus called the kingdom of God. It's the very thing Paul called in Christ. Six centuries before Jesus was born, the Greeks called it the ether. Today, you've got popular writers out there calling it the field or the unified field. The matrix is a big word in science, but it's all the same thing. And it, what it is, is it's this domain, if you will, of ultimate reality that encompasses everything else. Now, let me say it this way from a science standpoint, and with your biblical backgrounds and, and I assume that of many of the listeners, let's see if you let's see if you hear what I'm really saying. So science tells us that there is this all pervasive field within which everything else exists. This field you cannot see. In fact, we, uh, they tell us that we can only see 4% of the cosmos. The, the other 96% is dark matter, dark energy. We can't see it. We can't understand it. 
but we know it's there. And they say this field is a field of pure energy. And this energy vibrates at a very high speed. And it is that field of energy that gave rise to every material thing and that sustains everything that is physical. In other words, you could say that in that field, everything lives and moves and exists. Uh Now, what is the nature of the field that we're talking about from a scientific standpoint? Albert Einstein asked the question this way, is the universe a friendly place? And if you read the writings of Einstein and his peers in that day, you'll see that he and others concluded, yes, the universe is a friendly place. We can tell that by the symmetry, the balance, the beauty, Mm. the symbiotic connection of all things in the universe, the oneness of all things in the universe. We can see that the universe is indeed a friendly place. So let me summarize. So science says there's this all-encompassing field that is benevolent, that contains everything that exists, and in fact, that gave rise to everything that exists, and it's inside that field that everything lives and moves and exists, mm-hmm. and it's a loving place. Now, if you anybody with anybody that went to church three times has the sense to understand what I just said. <laughs> Yes. Oh, totally. In fact, as you were talking, I was also thinking of like Richard Rohr and his book, Universal Christ. Uh, He would call it Christ. Um, They basically, uh, what is the phrase he used, I think, in his recent The Cosmic Christ. Yeah. Well, no, but he says, he says a phrase, something like the way God loves things is by becoming it. Like that basically Christ has incarnated in in all matter, in all creation. That's exactly right. And a lot of folks get upset with Richard Rohr. I love Rohr's writings. I look forward to meeting him one day. But a lot of folks would say, well, what Rohr and others like McVeigh and others are postulating here is pantheism. And I don't I don't think it was Richard Rohr who coined the phrase panentheism. Mm-hmm. I did read it in his book, but I'd heard it before. But panentheism, we're not saying that a tree is God. But we are saying that everything is in Christ. People sometimes say to me, so you're saying unbelievers are in Christ? I'm saying it's worse than that. I'm saying your cat and dog is in Christ. <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm saying your garden is in Christ. I'm yeah. saying the house you live in is in Christ. Everything is in Christ. Because if everything is not in Christ, then pray tell what sustains those things that are outside of Christ. Mm-hmm. What holds them together? Mm-hmm. What life is there apart from Christ? What sustaining ability is there? outside of this this Christ that we know as followers of Christ. Mm. Well, and don't, and, and don't we see this like on the quantum level? Um, I, mean, I mean, my knowledge of it is very, very green. <laughs> uh, but it, like if you split two atoms and you like reverse them and you can put one in New York and one in San Francisco, instantaneously they're affected by, even though they're not together anymore? Yeah, you're describing quantum entanglement. It's called quantum entanglement, and you're exactly right. You can take a particle, and you can separate it by an inch, or you can separate it by a gazillion light years. And what you actually have there is, now listen to this, you don't have two particles. You have one particle in two places at the same time. Yes. Yes. And so, as you said, uh, whatever happens with the particle here happens with the particle there. Now, let me get back to this. This is a, this is an exhilarating thing to me. And it kind of ties into what you're saying there. 
I said these in this sphere called the kingdom of God, or as science calls it, the matrix, there's pure energy that vibrates. Well, now let's talk about human or at least physical matter. If you take an electron microscope and you zoom in on physical matter, you zoom down to the cellular level and then you go even, you magnify going further till now you've gotten to the molecular level. You keep getting bigger until now you're at the atomic level. You keep zooming in. Now you're at the subatomic level where there are quarks and other subatomic materials. Here's the deal. If you zoom in far enough, what you'll find is that smallest particle at the subatomic level, listen to this, it will begin to appear and disappear, appear and disappear. It'll pop into visibility here, and then it disappears, and then it'll pop into visibility over there, and then it disappears. Now, think about ourselves, our human bodies. We are physical matter. Science now knows that we are popping in and out of visibility 20,000 times a nanosecond. Mm. Now, listen, here's what I love. If you and I right now are popping in and out of visibility in this world 20,000 times a nanosecond, that means we're only here part time. <laughs> so, so where are we the rest of the time? I can tell you we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. But mm-hmm. let's get real. When you're talking to 20,000 times a nanosecond, you're talking about being two places at one time. So I'm sitting in my chair here in St. Petersburg, Florida, talking to you, and I'm also seated with Christ in the heavenly places by the right hand of the throne of God. Mm -hmm. I'm in two places at one time, Mm -hmm. and that's called quantum entanglement. Mm -hmm. So there's a quantum explanation for that. You just broke my brain, bro. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but the, it is so amazing, Steve. I, I, I'm so, man, I, I'm so thankful that we got you to come and talk to us about this stuff. Because it is <clears throat> it, it is the kind of thing where uh, the, the science on this is so phenomenal. I have listened to so many people, uh, different different scientists talk about these different things. I've, I've looked at um, some of these amazing like double slit experiments they've done with multiple layers <laughs> where, yeah. where the particle knows before you do it what you're going to do, even even if you randomize it, like it knows the future before you ha- it happens. And oh my gosh, and it's, it's so fascinating. But then to recognize that that this is connected to you and me, this is connected to uh, the, the entire universe, to reality, to spirituality, that this is, yeah. uh, that's just so awesome. So let it. me give you one. Yeah, we could. Oh, the double slit experiment. I would encourage any of our listeners today. It, you know, the double slit experiment is a, as an experiment that when they did it the first time, and then of course, unlike the world of religion, where some prophetic type just gets up and starts screaming lunacy and says God told him, and you either believe it or don't. In the science world, they practice peer review, so it has to be. It has to be explored, investigated, studied, and confirmed by others through replication. So you go back to the double slit experiment, and when the science, the modern science, quantum science, began to practice and and see if the quantum, I mean, if the double slit experiment was true, they all agreed and decided to call it the experiment that broke reality. Yeah, and I would mm-hmm. I would encourage the listeners to go back. But it, let, let, talking about that energy, which is Christ, which is the matrix which is God, which is the field of singularity. Let, let, let's right now as, as we're talking, and I'm not sure when, when this will be broadcast, but as you and I are talking right now, we're in the middle of this uh, 
coronavirus thing, right? Yeah. And more and more people are dying from it. And uh, as as of today, when I'm talking to you, uh, the Surgeon General in the U.S. said that, you know, we can be prepared for another Pearl Harbor type week. So anyway, mm-hmm. we're at a place of intensity. Well, let's talk about what it means to die. So on this side, in the in the world of of matter, physicality, when somebody dies, we look at it as an end, an ending, and we grieve and we're sad, and the person seems to be getting weaker and weaker as they die. But let's talk about it from a quantum angle. At a quantum angle, everything is energy. Everything is energy. Science will tell you that now. Well, another word for energy is spirit. So we are spirit beings. You and I are spirits who have souls. Our soul is our mind, will, and emotion. In other words, our personality. And right now we manifest in the physical body. But let's be clear. Everything physical that you see, the reason you can see it is because it's moving slow enough to see. It is energy that has slowed down sufficiently for you to see it with your eyes. So a person, let's say a person is approaching death. It appears that they're slowing down. But what if, especially, let's talk about those of us who anticipate seeing God face to face. We're Christ followers and our faith gives us a hope beyond this world. Well, what's really happening at, as we die is that our spirit, which is who we truly are, begins to accelerate and move faster and faster with excitement, with anticipation, until finally our spirits are so jacked up, so high on Christ, so excited that our physical bodies cannot contain it anymore, mm-hmm. and we step out of this body. And it's, that's exactly when my own mother died. The last thing I said to my mother as she lay on her deathbed and I held her hand was, it's okay, mom, feel their love calling you onward and feel our love sending you forward. And then she did it. Mm. She stepped out of her body and she stepped across to the other side. Well, does that ever give you a different picture of death? Yeah. We think people are slowing down, but actually they're speeding up. Right. <laughs> Well, what's crazy is we we just had uh, we just had uh, guests on um, who were a married couple Mary and uh, Marianne and Andre Rabe and oh, she I had love them both I love Marianne and yeah, Andre yeah and, and if you if you are familiar with their story it was, it's I mean it's it's crazy because it, it lines up exactly with what you're saying and like when she had this near death experience and she came back so to speak Andre was you know like oh I almost lost you and and her her phrase I think was no what do you mean silly you were there. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, dude, it just like, oh my gosh, it gave me chills the first time I heard her tell that story. Well, here's what I love about the quantum approach. There are a lot of things the Bible has told us, and I believed it all my life, but I didn't make sense out of it. Quantum what quantum science is doing is it's explaining things. Remember when Jesus did all of his miracles and the disciples said, Holy crap, how do you do that? Well, maybe they didn't say that. I don't think there's a people for that. But it, but they said, How do you do that? And Jesus said something to him. He said, I could tell you, but you wouldn't be able to bear it. You wouldn't understand it. You can't handle the truth. He said, but he said, I will tell you this, that after my departing, I'm going to send a teacher and that teacher's going to come and that teacher will guide you into all truth. And when you enter into that truth, greater things than you see me do will you do because I go to my father. Mm -hmm. Well, here's what I think, guys. I think here we are on 
the day after, so to speak, because a day with the Lord is a thousand years. So here we are maybe two days later, and the teacher now is here, and the Spirit is guiding us into all truth. And the truth of the quantum world is spiritual truth. The thing that aggravates and agitates religious people is that it's often not coming out of a pulpit, but it's coming out of a laboratory. And it's not religious vocabulary, it's science vocabulary. But make no mistake about it, quantum science is simply another language expressing the actions of the Creator in His creation. And I think we serve a bilingual God. Now, let let me be very clear. The language of the church and the Bible is my mother tongue. But the truth is, in the postmodern world we live in, a lot of people, they don't give a flip about hearing when you quote the Bible or talk church talk to them. But you know what I find? I find that if you'll speak the language of science, they'll listen, and you can nudge people deeper into an understanding of Christ by using the language that they speak, and more importantly, a language they're not offended with than you can if you're trying to King James your way right them right up against the uh, the head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what? Um, I, I think I love what you just said. Cause like, as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know what, if I, if I can just, you know, I, I see truth, I have heard truth, profound truth um, that I think is spirit inspired, but it comes out of the mouths of comedians, musicians, poets, scientists, uh, pretty much every direction, except mostly religious teachers. Um, so I feel like we've, the spirit has moved on from a lot of, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of traditional Bible teachers because they're just regurgitating stuff. Um, whereas I feel like the the progressive things, the things that actually are connecting and making sense and moving us forward are coming from all these different directions that, um, I mean, some of these things where like, I think this is kind of the way God works, right? Doesn't God usually use um, the most unexpected, you know, sources to to bring truth and light to us? It's like that whole jars of clay idea of, uh, how we hold this treasure in jars of clay so that we recognize it's not us, but it's the spirit. And and I think it's exactly right. I mean, the kinds of things you're talking about, which maybe a religious person or somebody who's like, well, my Bible says, and Pastor Bob says, you know, they're, they're going to hear some of what we're saying and go, well, I don't know. Um, and yet, as you were saying, like so much of this really does connect with what, you know, Jesus has told us, what the spirit has revealed to us. And uh, it's exciting. Thank you so much, man. I, I, my mind is just going a hundred different directions right now. I think We're it's good. I, I encourage folks just to open themselves up to the fact that, you know, I tell folks all the time, you know, I speak English, but when I go to Mexico, I try to speak Spanish and I, I, I'm not good at it, but I can make myself be understood and I can understand them enough to know what we're talking about. When you go into a culture, you want to speak the language they speak and, uh, there are a lot of folks that that somehow have the silly mistaken notion that if we use language that is extra biblical language, it's not the language of the Bible or the church, that somehow we're leaving our faith or we're diluting our faith. No, that is not what we're doing at all. Let me be very clear. I'm a passionate lover and follower of Jesus Christ, and I believe I believe the truth of the gospel as I as I teach it and I believe what the Bible says, but you know what? If I can tell somebody that there is a matrix out there that is defined by pure love, and I'm always 
sure to say, unlike a lot of the quantum physicists and popular teachers, I always make it a point to say, but let me be sure you know that matrix has personhood. Mm -hmm. We don't believe that the matrix is just a force like electromagnetism or or stronger weak nuclear force, or you know, we believe that the matrix has personhood, mm-hmm. and not only that, I'm not just a theist. A, a deist. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not just a deist who believes there's a supreme power that set everything in motion, and you know, it, it, behind it all. But I'm a theist, T H E I S T. I'm a theist. I believe in a personal God who is the matrix, who fills all things, and in whom all things move and live and exist, and so. You know, in the language of the quantum world, uh, I am finding, I, shoot, I sat down last night uh, keeping my social distance apart from a lady on the patio on the outside, you know, a Jewish woman. And she said, what do you do? I said, I teach a group called Quantum Life Online. What is it? She said, I said, it's a blend of spirituality and uh, and uh, quantum science. She said, what's your background? I said, I have a doctorate degree. I said, my background is theology. She said, and you're doing quantum science. I said, yeah, but I'm blending the two. And we began to talk. And you know that lady, my wife and I were sitting there, and that lady, after we talked a while, she said, I've got an article I think you would enjoy. And she went up and got a magazine and brought it back and gave it to me. But when she went away, I looked at Melanie, my wife, and I said, isn't it great when you're inclusive, when you just show the love of God to people, but you don't try to slam your own sectarian view down their throats? Is it? Is it a amazing to see how people gravitate to you what in the world would happen if what in the world would happen if christian people instead of always trying to blabber about christ what if we decided just to be christ yeah let's just act like christ in us and christ as us and i guarantee you we'll have a lot bigger impact than we do trying to uh close the deal by shoving something down their throat that they may or may not be interested in because we failed to show them love on the front end yeah yeah, I think that would be a, a wonderful notion. I, I, I think the quote is attributed to Francis about like um, preaching the gospel wherever you go and use words only when necessary or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I don't know right. if it's actually Francis, but I know uh, a lot of people attribute it to him. But yeah, that would be that would be wonderful if we could stop trying to just be salesmen. I mean, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, but this is so good. I feel like we could go on and on, but uh, we're kind of running out of time here. So I know you mentioned it before, Steve, but remind our listeners where they can get a hold of you. And maybe if you're if you've got like a project coming up or that you're working on uh, that's coming down the road, uh, let people know about that as well. Folks can go to Steve McVeigh. My name is spelled different than it sounds. It's M C V E Y, Steve McVeigh.com. And there they will find out about uh, the thing that I'm pouring myself into every day is my quantum life class that I teach Monday through Friday. I teach at 830 Eastern Standard Time, but the video is left online in archives so they can watch it at their own convenience. We've got folks from seven or eight countries in there right now, and only about 20% of them join me live. The rest rest watch later. So go to stevemcveigh.com. They can find out about my quantum life thing. They can find out about Grace Walk Ministries and what we're doing through Grace Walk Ministries. Uh, I'm a I'm a vice president at Global Grace Seminary. They can learn about Global Grace Seminary. So that'd be a good landing page for them to get started to find out who I am and what we're doing. Wow. Well, Steve, awesome. yeah, this has been so fascinating. Uh, thank you very, very much for coming on and blowing our minds and giving us a whole lot to think about. My pleasure to be with you guys. All right. All right. Cheers. Thanks. Oh, Steve McVeigh, you broke my brain. Yeah, in that was that, in yeah, in the best in the best way. And I and I knew he would. I I wasn't that familiar with him before, but I have 
I have at least l- looked at, and this is going to be our topic, obviously, I have looked at quantum physics, quantum mechanics, quantum things like that, and it always breaks my brain. And and that's the fun of it. Because <laughs> if, right. you know, if you if you think you got it, you don't. And I think there was that, uh, who was who said that? Like, if you understand quantum theory, like, you, yeah. really, you don't. Um, yeah, it was Richard, I, I, a guy named Richard Feynman. He actually won the Nobel Prize for something he discovered in quantum physics. So, I mean, that guy's the guy that said, if you think you understand quantum mechanics, you don't. Yeah. yeah. So. Because it's crazy stuff, man. It is. Uh, it is mind-bending stuff. And I only know a little bit about this topic. Uh, Jamal, do you know, how much do you know about this topic? Have you studied this at all? Um, it's my favorite topic. Oh, good. Well, Probably. good. Good, good. Well, I uh, I actually did a little bit of brushing up today because I knew we were going to talk about this topic. So I, I tried to um, watch a couple of interviews with some uh, physicists who were trying to explain the unexplainable, which is quantum mechanics or quantum physics, kind of the same thing. Um, so I don't know, I guess just for the sake of our listeners, I'll do my best quickly to sort of say, what is this like? So it's a new, well, I say new, it actually isn't that new. It's, it's been around for a little while, you know, going all the way back to Albert Einstein. This is something, um, you know, oh, before people, him, like Max before, Planck, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So, but it's for a long time, it's been, it's been a theory, but lately I think we've had some advancements in science that actually, and mathematics that have started to prove some of these theories uh, that we can, the scientists now can say, okay, we don't understand it. This is the crazy thing. We don't understand it, but however, we cannot deny that the science and the math uh, back up these uh, observations. So, so real quick, I, I mean this seriously quickly. So quantum mechanics says there's really no such thing as tables or chairs or physical objects or physical matter, people in So what there is is just something that science um, calls a wave function. And now a wave function is just simply, um, it's an abstract mathematical wave. So everything is expressed in this wave function. Um, but here's the thing. These abstract mathematical wave functions, uh, they're not physically real. That's what's crazy. So in other words, in the quantum realm, which they would essentially, I think you would say this is reality. Uh, everything is expressed in a wave function. But when we observe it on in our reality, where we are now in this sort of physical reality, um, we experience everything. And when we measure everything, uh, we, we measure them and experience them as particles. But that's not what they actually are. They actually exist in these waveforms, uh, including us, by the way. And so um, the, this guy, Sean Carroll, he's actually a Caltech physicist. He wrote a really good book called Something Deeply Hidden, trying to ex- kind of like explain to the average Joe. Uh, quantum mechanics. And he said there was there's a problem. He calls it the measurement problem or the measurement puzzle. And it's this. Whenever we whenever a system is observed or measured, its wave function changes dramatically, suddenly, and unpredictably. And this is kind of the challenge scientists have is that they're aware of some of these basic concepts, but the the act of observing it changes the thing you're observing. And we don't understand how or why, we just know that it does. Now, of course, believe it or not, and, and Steve helped us unpack some of the really beautiful things about how there's some overlap between this kind of crazy mind-bending science and the spiritual realm. And that's what I think we really want to dig into in this episode. So that's it. I'm going to let you guys talk now. Well, Jamal, I'm going to let you go because you're excited about it. So I want to hear what you why, why you're so excited and why this is your favorite topic. Uh, well, you know, first it's, um, it is my favorite top 
topic because of the implications. So I feel like, um, as far as, you know, cause I'm a life coach and a lot of what I, um, what I'm the basis of what I'm doing with when I'm coaching folks is helping convince them that everything they've experienced is rooted in an illusion. So most, the fact is most people feel like victims. We feel helpless and powerless in life. And one of the reasons for that is because we're looking at the illusion as if it's real. This is one of the reasons that science, most science and things that are based in, based in the scientific, scientific world are not true even though there's a lot of data to prove that they're true, they're actually not true. This, there's implications for medicine. There's implications for, because again, what we're saying, for example, I know of a doctor that talked about a woman he, and he was, he's a MD trained doctor, you know, uh, here in the United States. And he was treating, he was actually a uh, endocrinologist and he was treating a cancer patient. Um, um, and then, you know, he, so, well, let me back up on that. Instead of that example, he was treating a, a lady who was a diabetic, type one diabetic. And, um, she, you know, from, from childhood, she, uh, she, her pancreas didn't work, but she was about 10 years old and didn't produce insulin. So she's been taking shots for most of her life. So she's an adult now. And, uh, she ended up, um, well, she, well, she had multiple personality disorder as well. So, in most of her life, she would go in and out of these different personalities, but predominantly she stayed in one personality, which was her, her birth personality. And that's the personality that was diabetic. Well, in her adulthood, she shifted into a completely another persona for a long period of time. And this other persona had a whole different history had no memory or knowledge of being diabetic and her pancreas started working. Um, and just like normal. And of course that opened for this doctor that opened his mind of the connection between consciousness and, and physicality. And the reason this has roots in quantum science is because in quantum science, what we understand that everything that we thought we were, everything we were taught from the scientific, which everything, most, most of our medical models, most, um, and not only that, most of how scientists still, most of the textbooks are written from an archaic standpoint that treat the the universe as ultimate that what you can see taste touch and smell as ultimate and what we know from quantum science is that that is not true that everything that you know in physics we know that there are four kinds of energy which is you know uh, electromagnetism gravity strong side and weak side forces everything in the universe is made up of those four kinds of energy basically wave particles um at the at the core of them they're like wave particles but if you get closer into the quantum world, all of those come from what they call a unified field or um, a quantum, the, the, the quantum field, which is in, invisible. It actually has no visible, tangible properties. It's completely invisible. And so at that level, which is the level of consciousness, um, is where everything emanates from. So what I'm doing my coaching on a day-to-day basis is to, help, is to help people understand what you see in front of you and what is affecting you at a very tangible level is simply a projection of your own consciousness. So if there is a blip in your consciousness or there's a problem in, in your consciousness, when you shift things at the consciousness level, then the physical world that you're interacting with changes. So if you've got a lot of pain and suffering in your physical world, it's a mirror of you at the consciousness level. So a lot, most of my work is rooted in um, quantum science because th- that's why I don't even believe in miracles because it's like um, a, a sci- as somebody who's rooted in, you know, just the whole old Newtonian, you know, model of existence would just say, hey, this is a wall. This is the way the universe works. There's nothing we can do about it. 
So a miracle to them is a, is a deviation in those laws. But at the quantum level, everything's possible because everything is, comes from consciousness. If you can think it, you can, you can create it. That's basically the idea behind it. So but I love it. Can, can we go back though? And, and maybe, maybe I missed what you said, or, or maybe I just need clarification, but you said that science, it, it, it points to the data and you think that's true, but it's not. But, that's, but this is what quantum science is saying. No, what quantum science is so in the so for example uh, in Newtonian physics, you know, like just something simple as gravity, we can look yeah. at gravity and we say this is how it works, right. Right. you know, uh, and and things operate in a very in a very predictable fashion in a very right. logical fashion, and so there's these rules and mathematical formulas that tell you this is what happens, this is what can happen, this is what can't happen. So most of our scientific models of how the world works are based on the Newtonian physics, but. Um, quantum science deviates from that. And so in quantum science, kind of like the initial, you know, um, experiments in the quantum world is when we think we know how something operates. And then when we observe it, it doesn't operate that way. Um, simply because the observation itself changes the dynamic. So things at the quantum level do not follow those same rules and patterns. So kind of, I think that's what the quantum scientific world is showing us is that, oh yeah, you can be in multiple places at the same time. Oh yeah, sure. you, you know, consciousness shifts the outcome. So just intent, conscious intent, can change physical manifestations. Can change what happens in the physical realm just through conscious yeah. intention. Yeah. So I, I, I just wanted to say, um, and and this is, I'm actually just quoting. Uh, like I said, I, I listened to some interviews today, and uh, this guy Sean Carroll, who's a Caltech physicist, he wrote a book. Well, this book's called something deeply hidden, trying to explain quantum theory. Um, so he made a comment, which I, you may not agree with this, Jamal, but he made a comment. He said that he believes quantum mechanics, quantum theory, it is not proof that we create our own reality. Um, in fact, what he because the reason why is that he says um, what we what we see from the scientific side when we start uh, looking and observing the, the quantum the way things happen. That so what he's saying is that. Uh, we can't predict the, how things are going to turn out, right? So we're trying to measure an electron. We shoot it through a magnetic field. We don't know if it's going to go up or down or left or right. And we can observe which way it'll go. But the point is that with quantum mechanics is there's no way to predict it. It's unpredictable. Uh, and, and even the fact we're like in an electron cloud, at any given moment, that electron can be anywhere in that cloud. And it's almost in multiple places at the same time. But it's just the extreme unpredictability and randomness of it um, that they're trying to express. And yeah, I totally, there's a level that we don't understand. Um, yeah. yeah, that's but, that's built on a false premise, in my opinion. One of the false premises built on is that is that something ha- because something is not predictable doesn't mean we don't con- we don't shape it. Just because well, yeah. and, and I think he what he's he might be saying, again, I could be wrong here, is that it's just all random and unpredictable and we have no role in that. But I actually think we have a role in it. Even though right. we can't script it and predict it, which we don't need to, conscious intention can shape reality. And actually does. I would say it always shapes reality. Yeah. I well, would so say that there'd be there'd be no quantum theorists that say we don't impact things because just by right. our observations we show right. that you know, like the double slit experiment, when we observe uh, this wave, right. it almost goes back in time and it's a particle at some point, which we think is random and maybe it is, but, but we, so, so my point is that 
we know that our observations shape it. It's just a question of whether our consciousness can actually do any sort of um, uh, predictable uh, sort of outcome based on just observing it. In other words, there's no control there. It's more that we observe that our observation does change something, but it's not as if we could decide, hey, let's make it do this other thing. Like we can't go that far with it. It's simply, right. uh, and, and can I want to say real quick too, is something else that, I, that he said that I thought was fascinating to me. So in trying to answer the question why our observation does change these this quantum systems, because like what we're trying to do is observe a quantum system, which is what's happening when we're observing this electron going through this slit or whatever, um, and, and trying to figure out like why do we affect it, whether if we're observing it or not. Well, he said, you know, one of the interesting things was that what we forget is that we ourselves are quantum systems. So in other words, um, we're not sort of outside this system observing no. quarks and electrons and saying, oh, that's the quantum realm. No, we ourselves are a quantum system. And so we're, we are a quantum system observing another quantum system. And this is when entanglement happens. Now, this, this quantum entanglement thing is another level of insanity. So where... So again, what they talk about is like they fire two electrons at each other and they collide and they bounce off in different directions. And anything that happens to one of those electrons happens to the other one, right? This is the entanglement piece. Even if they are light years apart to the point where now they have become entangled and it's as if they are the same mm -hmm. uh, thing. Well, that's what's happening when we as a quantum system observe another quantum system. We are becoming oh. entangled with other quantum systems to a degree where, and this is where it really gets crazy, we are creating versions of ourselves, yeah, like multiple realities that are being created constantly. Now, here, here's what's interesting, though. Okay, so when you say we cannot, so so the modern, the, the Newtonian model of science says, okay, we are of these independent observers. The whole scientific method is based on, you know, doing an experiment and then and then observing the experiment and, and, and then recording the results as if we were independent observers. So the quantum theory, the quantum world blows that out of the water and says, nobody is, is a, is a observer that's independent. So even the observation is a part of the quantum realm. Um, but here's, what's interesting. When you say we are a part of it, it just depends on which we you're talking about. Uh, the body, the mind, ego, all of these things. Yeah. That's a part of the quantum world. But here, the rule, here's another rule of thumb though that I find fascinating is that that which is observed cannot be the observer. <laughs> so at some level there isn't, there is a, you know, if we are a part of the quantum realm, it there's, there's two parts of us. There's the part that's a part of the quantum realm, but then there's another part of us that is simply observing. There is an, there is pure awareness. There's pure being. And that um, is is a whole different subject because it's it cannot the, the thing that is observed cannot therefore also be the uh, uh, the observer because it it is the observed. That's like the brain. The brain is not doing the observation. The brain is uh, also the thing that is observed. So it's not the source of the observation. So this is where we get back to pure consciousness, pure awareness, which is has to be the source, and which we know this from the quantum discoveries is that there is a source of all energy of everything, which is the unified field. 
And that is the, 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 the realm of pure being, pure awareness, which I think jives very well with the spiritual traditions as well. Yeah, uh, there's an author, Amit Goswami, I think his name is, uh, The Self-Aware Universe. Have you guys read that? Mm-hmm. Nope. It's really fascinating. He's a quantum um, uh, physicist, but he, he gets into how the spiritual and the quantum the spiritual in like the most mystical traditions, the things that Jesus was talking about, the Buddha was talking about, the roomies of the world, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, um, so when you get into what the mystics are saying, the, the Richard Roars and, you know, maybe the Assisis, um, it it jives with the quantum reality completely. Yeah, that's what's so striking. And, and Steve talked about it in our interview as well, obviously. Yeah, so, and you I, know, I want... The other thing, too, that I think uh, just to say um, that I thought was fascinating was, again, going back to this guy, Sean Carroll, uh, he, he did admit, he said, you know, he said philosophers take this much more seriously than many scientists do. That, in fact, um, mm. yeah, he said that he said that, um, you know, he's a professor right, at, uh, at Caltech, and he said he was strongly urged by his peers not to bother to write a book on quantum physics because they just feel like it's a waste of time that he should spend more time on gravity and the study of these other like concrete things that we, we can really, you know, wrap our brains around because that's, that's where the money is for the grants and the research and all this stuff. And the quantum is like kind of in their minds, like he said, it's crazy that because they can't understand it, they just don't seem to take it as seriously. And he said, you know, it's odd because philosophers seem to take it way more seriously. Well, there's a reason they say that. There's a reason they said, I remember we go back to the deconstruction, spiritual deconstruction. When I was a Calvinist Christian, uh, I was on staff at a church. I was sitting in an office with a senior pastor and I was talking about pagan Christianity <laughs> written by Frank Boyola and uh, George Barna. And he said, don't go there, man. He's like, uh, and he started, to, he's like, don't, you don't want to go there. And, and, and he, there's just the venom and, you know, George Barna and he lost respect for Barna for writing such a ridiculous book with this guy, this no name guy who was questioning, um, the way the, you know, you know, hundred, you know, 2000 years of church history and orthodoxy and how, how, you know, all of this stuff he was going on and on. It's the same reason that guy was opposed to that journey told me not to read those books, which I eventually read it. And it was very life-changing. Right. Scientists say the same thing about quantum science for the same reason, because they're afraid. I don't think it's conscious. I think it's unconscious. It's an uncon because the entire scientific world is not trustworthy. When you start to recognize the power that is unleashed, when we start, it doesn't mean they're not true. There's not some truth there, but they bank their entire um, understanding of reality on an archaic version of vision of the universe, which yeah. is, is is so limited, rooted in Newtonian physics, and they're afraid of the implications of that. And so, I don't think I, I think they just like look, stay away from that because all our we'll lose a, everything we we thought we knew was true. Yeah, and, and is, that, is, is that true now though? It, or, well, I no, mean, no, he was. Yeah. Like, I mean, they call like it quantum, pseudoscience. Quantum, who calls who calls quantum theory pseudoscience? I I have, I have seen so many uh, debates, online debates where somebody's yeah. coming at uh, something from a quantum scientific perspective and oh, you're talking to, Oh yeah. You're yeah. talking to these, these, wow. these scientists like this, that's a pseudoscience bullshit. They'll say, you know, you can't trust that. That's uh that's you're you're trying to mix spirituality and science. It doesn't work, blah, 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 because there is a natural connection. And again, philosophers will take that. Seriously. No, say so I think this is the Sean, Like, again, that's what Sean Carroll was saying is that, uh, you know, he's moving in this direction. He's decided to continue going this direction, but, uh, a lot of his peers are not, and a lot of them are telling him that he's going to end up, uh, you know, bankrupting his career if he continues to move in this direction. And so, 
I think you may be right, Jamal. I think what the, the, the dangerous thing, this is the sad thing, is that the smartest people with the biggest brains, who have the, the biggest chance of continuing to study this and unlock some of the mysteries of quantum physics, are now being basically strong-armed into abandoning that pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, why? As you said, probably because the implications of it are scary to them, and, it's, and it makes them almost feel like, Am I talking science anymore? I, I feel like I'm, you know, I sound like Deepak Chopra, Deepak Chopra or something. Like, um, that I'm, I'm some Deep- mystical guru, and so that scares them. They want to still be seen as scientists. And, and Deepak Chopra is a great example of this. Okay, Deepak Chopra is extremely educated. He's an MD, doctor, you know, and if he, they've ran that guy's name through the mud as a pseudo scientist, like basically he's a punchline now in in yeah. so many circles. And it's like, for what? Why? Just because he, and he's an, he's an interesting case because he started this, like he explained the, in his, for him as a doctor, as a medical doctor trained here in the United States, he started getting into the placebo effect and started understanding like, why do placebos work? Why are they so effective? I mean, everybody in the medical world will recognize the placebo that they have to factor that in when they're creating a new drug because it's such a powerful effect. And um, so he, he started, he started, that led him into quantum science. Because there's an idea in quantum in quantum theory that an intention, um, which is is like an observer, you can you know just like when you're observing something, just like if the the, the particles when you observe the particles and they start to change uh, what their behavior because of observation, there's a there's a belief that at the intention level you can direct an intention and create a different outcome simply through the intention, and he started to see that at in, with the placebo effect, like he was treating a lady uh, who had cancer and um, she came in and she had, she was well beyond treatable range of cancer, stage four, um, some type of cancer. And so she was not treatable, but then he prescribed a placebo, didn't tell her, obviously that's the whole point. He said, we got to start you on chemotherapy, advanced chemotherapy. So he told her that he gave her a placebo, which was nothing. Her hair falls out. She starts vomiting, but her, her tumors shrink as if she was taking chemotherapy, but it was nothing. And he started to go, what? I mean, of course he knew about this. He's read about that phenomena as a medical student, but actually practicing medicine and seeing it work. He's like, what is this? And he discovered, oh, it's intention. This lady had an intention and simply the, the power of an intention. And then there's a principle that an intention has infinite organizing power. You don't have to actually make it happen. You, this, the intention itself will start to create it. And yeah. that's what happened for her. Yeah. Crazy. So, you know, the thing, the thing too, that as I was um, looking into this quantum thing, again, just that part that I was saying, um, I was actually watching this little, one of the things I found on YouTube was this like little animation video that was really cool. It was trying to very super simplify the whole quantum theory thing. And so it shows this sort of wave, right? And says, quantum mechanics says that there are no such things as tables and chairs, right? Or people or matter, right? Everything is this wave function. It showed, it showed this little wave symbol, right? On the, on the left side of the screen. And then it put a line in the middle of the screen and it said that um, everything is a wave function, right? Which is an abstract mathematical wave. And they even said, it is not physically real. And then it said, on the other side of the line is, you know, sort of what we call our, our world, our reality, our perception. And it says, we perceive these wave uh, functions on the left side of the screen as, as uh, particles. And it showed the particle moving towards the line in the middle of the screen, all of a sudden that wave, wave line turned into a tiny little dot. And so what I, I was saying, so then what I realized was, okay, I guess I get that to a degree, 
But here's what that really means. If we are waves, we are waveforms, okay, then that means the part of me that you see and experience, that we see and experience of one another right now is this particle, which maybe I could say is my physical body. But that is not physically, <laughs> like in other words, there's a part of me that isn't physically real. No. Right? And, and, and so the, 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 at a simple level, like what quantum- then Who are you? Yeah, because well, we are because we are consciousness at yes, our true essence. Yes, we are consciousness, and this yes. is why we're this is why we're God. Yes, hey, it's proving. Hey, oh. Yeah, it's proving. It, well, here's the thing: like it's proving many things. It's saying that that human beings, um, yes, we have a. In other words, if you want to call that a soul, in other words, there's a there's a part of me that's so much bigger, so much beyond, so much more inexpressible and invisible, really, to the to the eye. That beyond the physical part of what you can see and, ex- uh, and experience, and everyone is, and everything in the universe that you can see and taste and touch is also. Yeah. Everything is a waveform. Everything, and it's and it's a waveform in a almost another dimension beyond this one that we can't perceive. It is like a matrix, like Steve McVeigh was saying. It's like we are in the matrix and we just can't see the code. It's what? just it's crazy, man. And so, so to answer the question. The age-old question, does a tree in the forest make a sound? Because if nothing's observing it, if it falls. Now, you know, like, no, if, if there's no observation, yeah. like... Well, I, I, mean, used to, I used to answer that question, yes, because just because there's no one here. But now I'm wondering, well, maybe not. <laughs> well, well there, it's presupposing there is something that exists out there. And again, everything is a modified form of consciousness. Nothing is reliable the way it is. I mean, we know this light is made up of photons. Photons are completely invisible, but yet we can see them. So it's an illusion. It's an, it's a useful illusion. It lets us have an experience, but it doesn't look that way. Nothing looks the way it actually is. So therefore it's all an illusion. So we are having a, it's like, it's like the universe is happening on the screen. It's like, it's a projection on a screen. But we're we're observing it, so it's there because we're observing it. But it's not actually there. <laughs> Are we just observing it? Is it so? Is it so? The analogy is it is it more like a movie or a video game? Because I'd say it's more like a video game because we we're not simply observing it. We are interacting, making yeah. We are making conscious decisions. We have cosmic consciousness, self consciousness. Um, we we have the. The I, you know, we are able to interact rather than simply just watch, uh, you know, a screen movie. movie. Well, see, well, see that. So that's interesting. So when you watch a movie on a screen, it's just what well, you, you just sight and sound. And this is why VR is interesting. When you put on a VR headset, it's still just sight and sound, but it's more uh, 3D. It's more, but there are, there are, there's technology in the works that are trying to replicate a full VR experience where you're going to, it's not just sight and sound. It's like taste smell and touch so we're having an immersive vr experience right now right. called life but um but is it so like let's say you could put on a a a suit a vr suit and have the whole full body experience is that real that's the question is that actually happening <laughs> i mean yeah. it's happening at the level of consciousness for sure you're experiencing it but is it actually there no it's not actually there it's a, right. it's a created generator but that case can also be made for the universe. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, um, 
you know, so, so there's one level of what you just said that you could, uh, from a purely physical standpoint, right, you could just say, look, we've studied the human brain and the human brain only, uh, only processes information, you know, uh, through a very limited organs like the eyes, which cannot see all the range of light uh, and your ears, which cannot hear all the spectrum of sound and, um, and, and, you know, taste and touch, all these things are very limited. And so you have a very extremely limited uh, awareness of the universe in which you live, it, even just the physical universe. But, but you take that to another level when you actually then say, well, even that information you're getting from your eyes and your ears and your touch is also lying to you. Because actually, none of that is actually there either. <laughs> and in some ways, neither are you. It's, oh my gosh, dude, the implications of this to me are so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I'm going to spend the rest of my life studying this. It's just so cool. It is that cool. I think it is the key to the elimination of suffering mm. and hate and war. And why do you think that? Oh my gosh, because, okay, if we can embrace this experience called life that we're experiencing here as a VR, Okay, to use that analogy, if we can experience it as a VR, we can say, okay, it's an illusion, but it's a useful illusion. So, so the fact that I don't actually think there's any enemies, it's an illusion. These are my teachers. Um, my enemy is my teacher. Um, so you can cooperate with the VR experience. It allows you to fully cooperate to learn, you know, to learn to flow with it. Because most suffering, first of all, comes from um, this idea that I'm separate from the universe. I'm separate, even the sense of deep loneliness, isolation. This, this comes from, you know, I mean, again, it's not conscious, but an unconscious perception of the universe that the universe is out there and I'm this small individual and I'm just kind of in there, you know, at the mercy of this big thing. Um, it's, and so that's, there's a lot of suffering and a lot of victim mindset in that, but not only that, then we're at where we, we have to resist what's happening. But when you understand that this is all actually a useful illusion, we're here to learn and we're here to do, there's something we're here to experience, then we can flow with it mm. and learn some incredible lessons, evolve much quicker. Um, and, um, and understand that, you know, I think, talk about, go back to God, divine consciousness, divine being itself, there's a purpose, be, there's, a, there's, a, there's so much intention in every little aspect of this universe, of this world, of this life we're living. There's an intention behind it. And there's an, an intent. Again, so yeah, it's an illusion. So it's not like, it's not big and scary and going to kill me. But there is something I'm here to learn. And it will allow us to flow with it much better. And also to begin to shape and control it. So then when Jesus says something like, look, you can say to this mountain, be moved and it shall be moved. He's talking about approaching life from a place of you have lots of power that you didn't think you had because you're living in this illusion and allows you to begin to do things. And, to, and then when love becomes our ethic, if we understand the consciousness, the, the divine being, the essence, the source is pure love, then this entire experience is for love. It's to teach yes. us what it is, what it's not. Yes. How to, like it's, it's, the implications are stunning. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Jamal. Amen that, to that. Yeah, that last thing is, I think, so key is if we can really wrap our brains around the fact that, you know, if we do believe that God is love mm -hmm. and that the universe was created by love and we are created in the image of love, and then we combine that with what we are, our minds are being blown now about what science is showing us about quantum uh, physics and, and quantum reality, then, yeah, in some crazy way, the entire universe is uh, is bent towards love. It is all about love. 
And we need to figure that out. We need to figure out how to tune into that frequency because that, that really is, I think, what it's all about. Yeah. yeah that's, it's cool. that's what it's got to be all about. And I think that's, I mean, if we can end every episode talking about love, I think we've, uh, I think we've done, we've done our, our, our due diligence <laughs> and we've done our job. So uh, with, yeah, with that, if you, um, if you liked what you heard today, um, thank you for listening, all that good stuff. If you want to talk about what we were talking about, make sure you uh, join our Facebook group, head on over to Facebook, look up Hap- or Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We also have one that's Heresy After Hours that has, uh, it's an open group. Um, so there's lots of people to dialogue with. I know there's going to be questions, so make sure you hit us up in there. And make sure you bookmark our website, heretichappyhour.com. we got a store on there. All the new episodes are on there, so you can keep up. Yep. And if you can't get enough of the Heretic Happy Hour, let's be honest, who can? You, my good friend, should head over to patreon.com slash heretichappyhour and slap your $2 down on the table with a credit card. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and sign up for Patreon because, oh my gosh, we continue these amazing conversations. We have bonus uh, conversations, bonus podcasts, bonus interviews, lots of other cool stuff on the way. And uh, you also get into the Facebook group, uh, as, as Matt mentioned. And uh, as Jamal mentioned earlier, I'm going to just remind you guys again, this is your last chance. If you want to get in on this April foolishness, uh, right now, Choir has almost every one of its titles available for 99 freaking cents on Kindle. That means for like almost 25 bucks, you could get every single one of these things and uh, read while you're stuck at home in the uh, pandemic. So do it while you can, because at the end of April, this expires and you don't want to miss this. Yes. Yes. And I, um, I did hear some news that we are on iTunes. So uh, all you guys who've been waiting, you can now go right now. You can go to iTunes. You can rate us and you can review us. Please. Five stars. So do that now if you can. Jesus said not to judge, but you can judge us as long as it's five stars. That's right. Judge us the way you want to be judged. But you want five stars. 